and welcome to this landmark 50th episode of the Just Checking In podcast. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by Ven, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about the mental health issues, break down stigmas and start conversations. I'm your host, Freddie Cocker, and I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of Vent. I'm going to be honest, Venters, to reach this milestone is pretty unbelievable for me, and I want to thank every single person who has supported this podcast by listening or my amazing supporters on Patreon who helped make this pod financially self-sustainable. Without all of you, I wouldn't have been able to get this far. The Just Checking In podcast is completely independent, so to get to 50 episodes is just incredible. On this 50th episode, like every pod, I check in with a special guest. We have an answer about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we'll discuss it. For the 50th Just Checking In pod, I had to think big and memorable when it came to who I invited on. I had to get a guest who meant a lot to me and would give you listeners an unforgettable listen that was worthy of the milestone. So I decided to get my best mate of 23 years, James Lamb, on the pod. James is an HR professional and the co-founder of the Goals Don't Move podcast, the self-described best Premier League podcast on the internet. He's also a sports nerd like me, and when it comes to his favourite, it's definitely Formula One. Sometimes I call him a bit of an F1 nose, and he's been with me right from the beginning. He's seen me at my best and at my very, very worst, as you'll find out in the pod. From playing with F1 cars at three years old, recreating Star Wars lightsaber duels, Call of Duty marathons, Friday night sleepovers after cricket training with fish and chips for dinner, and getting up to all sorts of mischief when we were old enough to go out clubbing, there's a lot to get through and reminisce about. Goals don't move, sport, supporting your friends, relationships, self-discovery, and much more are all on the menu. I think this one's going to be a bit emotional for me, to say the least, so strap yourselves in. This is how our check-in went. James, welcome to the Just Checking In pod, mate. Does this feel weird? Yeah, it does feel a little bit weird. A little bit weird, but it feels like weirdly appropriate. Yeah. yeah. For, this, for this 50th episode. Well, I'm, I'm honoured to be here, Fred. Thanks for having me. I'm a little bit nervous, I must admit. Why? Just because I think it's obviously it's a conversation I'd probably... I've struggled talking about these sort of things, yeah. so... Um, this is why we're here, mate. Exactly, but that's why exactly that's why I'm nervous but excited at the same time. We were um we were supposed to record this at your parents' house, but they are self isolating, so at least your mum won't try and kick us out to watch Corey. No, there'll be no disturbing, which is no. Good. Or we'll get distracted and be like, "Let's do you want to play FIFA for a bit and, <laughs> get, and take a break from the pod for an hour." Be here for the weekend. Yeah, basically, I'll just sleep over and then we'll just do the pod <laughs> in stages. We have got an absolute ton of stuff to get through, mate. So shall we just crack on? Let's do it, mate. Let's do it. I'm going to start this pod at the end in a weird way because we're going to start with Goals Don't Move. Now, this podcast was a very recent creation. Just tell me a bit about how it started and why you felt inspired to do it, mate, because I'm not going to lie. Since I was the first person in the group to start our own podcast, I'm going to take a little bit of credit for it. I'll give you the slightest bit of credit. <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you that for the smile. Yeah, well, I think it started, yeah, again, like you said, relatively recently, uh, with my me and my friend Phil Addison, who uh, lives in South Carolina, not South Carolina, from South Carolina, lives in Georgia in the States. And we started just because we obviously, we talk about football quite a lot, back and forth. And Phil's always watching first take and different things like that in the States, which are American sports. Soccer show. Yeah, like As Phil shows. talks. Exactly, exactly. I bet like he's that. listening, he's going, Freddie, that is an awful and accent. <laughs> that is an awful impression of me, Freddie. 
Uh, it's not too bad. Actually, man. I <laughs> yeah, I've been working on it. I've been working on it. That. Yeah, he'd always watch these different programs, and you know, Barstool Sports, who's a big American sports media company out there, they do their, they do like you know, hot takes and things like that. They've got guys that just chat shit and and um, have you can fun. swear by the way, but oh, you know, you, admit, you didn't I, ask permission I, to I do that. <laughs> I stared at you after. I was like, oh no, oh god, um, <laughs> got to put the explicit sorry, tag on the pod apologies. now. Thanks for that. <laughs> sorry, they talk a lot of sugar, and we and Phil was like, why we can do that? Why don't we give it a go? And the great man he is, he pushed through, and I was, I'm always like to think the idea is good and then I actually never go through and do them and I thought this time do you know what Phil was buying a mic I was like John I'm just going to do it so we just kind of get together chat about football um, so you're glad you had him basically definitely because <laughs> otherwise you would def- no, definitely not have done it on your own I wouldn't have done it without Phil so he's going to take that's why I can't give you all the credit Fred it's got to go someone's got to go to <laughs> yeah. Phil so um, but yeah it's, it's been fun we're doing it I think we've done eight episodes so far obviously we started after the restart of the football season obviously I think we might, might mention it's just a purely Premier League football podcast so we kind of came back for project restart as we call it and yeah it's come thick and fast it's been good and what's the relationship you have with Phil? A really good one, actually. We met five years ago, I want to say, 2015, 2016, when I was doing my year abroad in South Carolina. Phil was studying South Carolina. We met pretty early on in, our, in the year, actually, but it was it was an interesting relationship. Obviously, we knew each other, we were friends. I'd go around his to watch Champions League and things like that, and we'd hang out. But we, we didn't, I didn't say we were, like, best mates then, but I think Phil very kindly offered to house me and my ex-girlfriend while we were going through our travels around America. So and I think then, it was around that time, the end of the back end of the year, and that little trip is that like we really became really good friends. Again, credit to Phil as well. I'm not the greatest at texting and things, and he's always been. We've always been back and forth since since we've been to America. So that's where it's gone. It's gone from strength to strength. He's stayed at my house for a couple of months, uh, a couple of years ago in the summer while he was doing an internship. But yeah, it's just gone. We just get closer. And closer it helps really. that he's like a 19.5 out of 10 extrovert, doesn't it? Exactly. And he's exactly. American, so they're all 19.5 yeah, out of 10 extroverts, exactly. really. He, he thinks about something and he does it, which is yeah. good. What impact does doing the pod or just putting it out there have, you know, on you and your mental health? You know, would you say it's like a good distraction is it a bit of routine enjoyment perhaps a bit of self-expression that you might have neglected a bit in the past which you'll come on to later in the pod um i would say yeah i'd say it's definitely enjoyment i it would be interesting to see if it had been done without coronavirus i think that's obviously had a big effect on all of us and it gives you the time to think about what you what you do and a bit more time to think about what you want to do and i think that's what it is really we just decided to do it basically it's, it's a good distraction like you said but i wouldn't say it's a distraction i, I enjoy doing it it's a, a positive distraction yeah, exactly. I mean. yeah yeah it's a bit of variety especially when coronavirus everyone seems to be doing the exact same thing day after day so that's what it is really and now it's this, this really enjoyment we've we're taking a slight break obviously because it was quite busy we were doing like two or three a week at the end of the football season so we're going to probably record on monday or something yeah it's just a good it's something and it's something it's something different something new it's something exciting so yeah it's been good and and how do you plan to take the pod forward in the future now you've obviously had big shout out to alex hensman you had your first guest we have um but how do you plan to get other guests on or you know in a, in a very long term distant future maybe even a live show who knows um have you thought about that stuff yet have you made any plans or are you sort of just kind of trying to get your list of numbers up at the moment which i'm giving you some free advertisement here for you have you did thank you very much you know goals that move but um, i don't know at the moment i think for me it's just something to do with phil and we're having alex back on for a couple more hopefully but yeah obviously i think we want want some different guests and things like that obviously i think to start it'll probably be mates and stuff like that but i think that can that's kind of what we want i don't think we want a particularly i think especially phil doesn't want a particularly like football analytical podcast which we kind of started doing with our reviewing the games and things like that i think we want to be a bit more about storylines news kind of a bit more narratives you know what i mean like, I, think <laughs> narratives. I think that's what phil wants anyway and i, I think that I, I agree with it i think it's a bit more fun i must admit i just i don't think i've ever watched more football in my life i think we'll again we'll get onto it it, it takes up time <laughs> how much how much do you crease when he says jack relish yeah it's, there's some <laughs> norwich as well yeah. norwich yeah. Todd Campbell. He's got Bester. He says Leicester now, which is good. What was he saying before? Leicester. People used to say Leicester, but I don't think he wow. ever quite got there, but he would, you know, pronounce maybe the E a bit too much. Um, 
it's always hilarious, it's always fun. But he's a good sport about it. If you know, I correct him when he says soccer, because that's not a sport. So, um, <laughs> um, things like that. So, yeah. When you started, did you have like any idea how to present? You know, did you look to any other presenters or podcasts, like sport ones, I mean, mm. for a bit of inspiration or how they analyze games or analyzed, you know, bits, bits and pieces? Did you feel a bit of apprehension before recording that first episode? I mean, I guess we all probably do for before doing those big things. I guess it was quite a big step out of your comfort zone, really. Yeah, 100%. It's definitely, I was definitely nervous. I feel I've definitely got a lot better over the last eight weeks or eight episodes. The first one, you feel very nervous. And I, again, we'll get onto it. I have a real struggle of getting the words in my head out into the actual, into the universe. So that was, a, that was definitely nerve wracking for me. But again, it's, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, as you know. So I think I've had that sort of, maybe not listening intently as a, as a research for a presenter, but I think I've had quite a lot of exposure to podcasts and obviously match of the day and things like that over the years so I, f- I felt confident in myself being able to talk about it but I think the main thing for me is having a thought a coherent thought in my head and getting that thought out in in speech mm. in the way I actually said it as you can tell from this sentence I had something in my head which <laughs> didn't go quite according to plan so I think that's something that I was worried about but in the end it was me and a friend just talking about football so I think once you get into it you actually don't realize and you just kind of the, the, the words flow and where can the listeners who want an additional Premier League football fix. Go to get involved. It's on SoundCloud at the moment. Goals don't move. Podcast. Get and on our are, Apple, please. Yes, we're going. We're, we're going to do it very soon. Just to mainly to get you off our backs. Um, well, I'm you. trying to get. I'm trying to get your <laughs> pod progressing, mate. But can't yeah, just keep it on SoundCloud very forever. Good, very good advice. We're getting it. We're, we're going on on all good all good podcast sites. And what, where is it on social media? Uh, Instagram and Twitter. Goals don't move for both of them. <laughs> We talked about your presenting journey, mate, or your very early presenting journey. Let's talk about your sporting journey now, because you were, I guess, always someone annoyingly blessed at being good at multiple sports when we were younger. But it was probably football and cricket that you really excelled at. I'd say football more than cricket. Mm. That, I thought yeah, that's I probably fair in saying. Just talk to me about football first. You know, how did your love for football begin, both playing it and and that and sparking that interest in it more generally? I can't remember when I period period of my life where I haven't played football. It's just always been in my life. My dad's obviously, as you know, uh, big into his fitness and, and things like that. I've always played football for as long as I can remember. I remember these little red Deodora boots I had when I was about six or seven. And they seem to be my, my first memory of playing football down up here at Hucker Soccer School um, in Wanstead. And it's just been, again, it's just been a, if anything, it's a life passion. I don't think I've ever not liked football. I seem to remember... We talked about on Goals Don't Move podcast me having this golden JBC away Arsenal away shirt. That's my memory of what I why I support Arsenal. I don't actually don't think I have a particular reason. Was that pre Dreamcast? Was that post Dreamcast? Post no, I think it might have been pre Dreamcast actually. It was like late nineties. Yeah, it has Overmars on the back. So that, that, that gives I remember that shirt. Yeah. I remember the Overmars shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was like yeah, golden yeah. yellow sort of thing. It was amazing. So I kind of contribute that shirt for the reason I love for love Arsenal. Obviously not football. I kind of got into football beforehand, but it's just been yeah, it's just been my whole life. Either watching football, talking about football, or playing football really. So and what impact do you think football playing it and I guess watching it and enjoying it had on your mental health back then? I guess happiness enjoyment it makes you happy to play and I think I think as I say I'm a people person so I think the social aspect of football has been massive for me I probably didn't realize it back then how much no none of us did did we yeah the the friendships I've made again like I'm I'm sitting in a house with six people in it and five of them I know well four of them I know from playing football they're upstairs Mm. I've known them since I was six or five playing Peter Huckers I've known you since the primary school you've been playing football my whole life so I think it's just a a social interaction thing and just I guess now think about it's more exercise which was which was good being a healthy kid yeah just really enjoying playing it it's just one of those things that you can't I can't quite put one Mm. finger on it but it's just always been there given the fact that you were quite good at it in school Mm. 
were you I guess we were we were never really aware of it as kids but looking back do you think you were able to fit in much more easily in the knowledge that you had I guess that respect of being good at it mm. so I mean for us football as boys and later men it's probably the biggest social hierarchical tool there is really yeah I'd, I'd say I, I wasn't aware of it at the time but I guess you could say that it's maybe easier to fit in if you're good at football or things like that or sport I or guess sport yeah, in general because yeah. it's a thing that boys in particular talk about a lot so yeah I guess so again it's just nothing I really thought about at the time I must admit when it came to our football skills James I guess it's pretty safe to say that we were quite polar opposites from a fairly early age do you think that I would have been better if I'd gone to football training as much as you had (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately Fred I don't know if that would be that would be the case but again I when did you when did you play football solidly every weekend well until about 10 or 11 I think from when? Would primary you school. Like yeah, primary school. Yeah. Yeah, fair. Well, I just didn't play matches. I think I don't yeah. think I. I don't think my parents paid for the the subs, so I think they paid for me to go to training and play. But I didn't do the next step, so mm. I only just I only just trained basically. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't know. I think there's a multiple of, of factors in it. I think to do with my dad. I think I did a lot of other foot other stuff yeah, outside yeah. of training. I did. We used to go to the green opposite our house and do left, right, left, right passing and like. He'd stand in the middle and I'd run around the outside of him and he'd just pass the ball to me in different angles and things. So I guess that and also, again, I'd run everywhere with my dad. So I think that's something that I, I feel like I've, I don't think I've ever been fitter when I was between 10 mm-hmm. and 14 just with, from constantly running everywhere with my dad, swimming in the mornings, then going to Peter Huckers. So I think that's there's a mul- multitude of factors. But unfortunately, I think some, some of it's just... The thing with that is, is that I faced quite a lot of exclusion mm. when I was younger from playing it because I was deemed not as good mm. by other kids and I guess the fact that I supported Huddersfield also added to their like alienation of me or, or something well, along I guess those lines also that you know the, the you know there's that classic trope of being the last one to be picked in a sports game oh I was I knew that 100% I think, I think, yeah yeah uh, maybe luckily for me I don't think I've ever experienced that so I can't imagine what that does to you because again feeling you know left out things i can't imagine what they'll do so luckily for me i haven't i haven't, I haven't felt that so i was definitely jealous that you were better than me at football in it wasn't like in a bad way if that mm. makes sense like i was never like i didn't resent you for mm. it i just wish i was at any decent like yeah. really good level because i could then i could fit in really easily mm. were you ever aware of that i guess slightly maybe again i just don't think i ever put thought into it unfortunately no i guess i i i feel like there was always i, I must admit i feel like i'm, I'm never going to be someone that I, I hate those little kids that, just, that literally tell kids their face that they were crap or things like that mm. just, so i never felt i never felt that you know you get everyone involved so I, I must admit i felt i think i have a feeling that you put i that you felt that way at least slightly you've had injury problems quite a lot in your teenage years and it's pretty much f- pretty fair to say your adult years too mm. to the point of almost parody the number of times <laughs> you've been out of action i mm. guess that must have been really frustrating and i think we've always a social group over the years like you know ribbed you about it a little bit myself included i'll <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll happily admit that do you think has that ever affected you or perhaps made well the injuries first and then also the kind of like i guess ribbing a little bit but has that ever affected you or made you cautious when you get any, another injury or maybe even a minor one i'm maybe not cautious but frustrated i think the amount of injuries and like the continuation it, it's definitely if anything that's had an effect on my mental health it's definitely that it's been i don't think i've been properly fully fit for more than six months since i was about 15 so yeah, i was gonna say about i was um, gonna say about 15 yeah i've had knee issues phases i've had groin issues for ages i've had different things so I think the problem with the I I don't know if, I think we might get onto it in a minute, but the the relatively recent large injury, I've had quite a lot of non-contact injuries. Things just go and you're running like both ankles, my knees, that sort of thing. I think that's probably the most things that have most affected me because it does feel like your body just kind of gives up on you sometimes. And mm. it's, 
you don't know when it's going to happen next that's been quite a frustrating thing it just feels like what's going to happen next like what thing's going to go wrong next rather than trying to think about mm. getting fitter or anything like that. you just constantly feel like at the end i think you become a bit paranoid that every little you overthink little feeling it. when you're playing football yeah it's just it's it can pull you out of your, of your mode so in, in the world of football that's probably been the thing that's i've struggled with the most is that it does feel like it's just one thing after another and you just can't really do much about it. That long-term injury, do you want to just talk about how that happened and then the recovery process? Because you were on crutches for quite a while, weren't you? Yeah, so I did it in December 2017, I want to say. Uh, just playing football, uh, Tuesday night football at Christmas, coming back coming from uni, and I was just running on a seven-a-side pitch, put my foot down. I've had it before, I had it I had it about five or six years ago, but it felt like a someone had basically kicked a football against your ankle. and it, your, football, your ankle had kind of been taken out from underneath you as you put your foot down. And basically, the the tendon that runs down the back of your ankle, it kind of—I always call it the ankle knuckle, but that's definitely not correct. It's just funny. It kind of it leads down there, and it connects to the bottom of your foot. That basically snapped. So, well, the thing that holds it in place, the thing that holds the tendon in place, snapped. So it was just, it was riding on my on my ankle, being quite painful. So I had to have so I, I went I went back to university for the to finish my final year, and then had surgery afterwards. So I had surgery in I want to say May or June of that of twenty eighteen. No, I waited a whole year. I had because it was my sister's birthday. Funnily enough, I had surgery on my sister's birthday, uh, November sixteenth. I was on crutches, physio, and all that sort of stuff. And then six months later, they said basically you can stop doing sport and things in three to four months. Did that, was feeling okay, and then six months later, I sprained the same ankle quite badly, and was back on crutches. And if anything, that hasn't healed. My ankle was feeling much better after the surgery. The surgery did a great job. It was feeling back to normal. And then I sprained it again, and it. And I must admit, since then it hasn't been the same. I've still got bruising on my ankle. It still gives me pain. I've got. I've definitely got some scar tissue and things. So that's been quite a long road, and it affected me more than from just playing football. Because when I first did it, I couldn't walk very well. I couldn't run at all. My balance was off because the tendon was was throwing me off a bit. So that's been. Yeah, it's been a long. It seems like a long journey. It's definitely got better, but it's it's, it's not quite. It's never been mm. the same. Do you think across professional and amateur sport, and I've I've spoken about this a lot on on different episodes that. The relationship between injury, both short term and long term, and mental health is is spoken about enough. No, probably not. I think it's definitely been it's definitely something that's come up more. You see, you see players talk about their long term injuries. So obviously, I'm a, a relatively big um, American football fan, so they have not similar injuries, but obviously ACLs. You know, when it comes to devastating injuries, they can have really bad ones. So. I don't think it is talked about enough, and I think it definitely has. I can't imagine what it does on a professional footballer who's their their livelihoods based on their body. While I was just doing it as a, as a hobby, and again, maybe something to keep me happy. And I think for them, it's probably a job and something that they absolutely love. So it's probably a double whammy for them. So it's definitely something. I'm sure it has a, a massive a massive effect on um, people's mental health, and it's something that shouldn't be overlooked. Definitely. Mm. Let's talk about Mably now mm. because we had big Frankie Kane <laughs> and Connor Fielder and big Alex Bartlett on the pod yeah. already and all of our boys play for the team except for me. What impact has Mably had on you in your adult life? I would say a good one. Again, it's it's the enjoyment of playing football. I hadn't played football competitively for years and it's just I think I always, I always need some sort of fitness. I'm not a massive runner. I don't really like doing exercise, but I like doing sport and that's been my main source of exercise. So Mably's been great. The, the team are hilarious. They're such a good bunch of guys. I look forward to going train look forward to playing the matches to see them and you know, and hang out with people and obviously play the do the football as well which is which is a great bit of exercise so it's been a it's been a great thing it's again it's something to split the week up i think people have missed it in coronavirus you know we're mm. not, not allowed to see people like that so um in those sort of ways we're getting back into it now which is great we've got our pre-season so it's been brilliant again it's something it's a distraction a bit of exercise and it's something to, to keep you happy which has been brilliant let's talk about cricket now mm. it's safe to say that cricket was definitely the sport i was just about half decent at <laughs> and we played in the same cricket team for a good i would say seven years eight years yeah a long time from like 11 10, 10 to 16 11 to 16 yeah i'd say so yeah 
yeah. And then we coached it, obviously, for two years as mm-hmm. well, which was at Once a Cricket Club. What are your favourite memories of playing cricket and the distraction it gave us as kids, I guess? It's another camaraderie, you know, social aspect of going down to the club, cricket club on a Friday, playing on a Sunday. And, I must, and it's, we met people that we're still friends with from there. We have good connections there. So, again, it's another competitive aspect of your life that you like getting you always like getting involved with but also for me it was i'd say that obviously we went to the, we went to the same primary school me and you but then we went to different secondary schools so for me it was just a great way of hanging out with you we i saw you every friday and i feel there was a period of time maybe between year seven and eight we probably didn't see each other as much but cricket was that way that we, we saw each other so the, for that it was brilliant mm. we had a pretty piss-takey team i can't <laughs> lie i think for, at, in, at one point we had me you alex may will Harry, Ollie, who else did we have in that team? Pat, Pat Barney, obviously, Barney. Sam Gale. <laughs> we just took the piss all the time, but we won most of our games. <laughs> what were your, some of your favourite matches? We're not going to name any names as to who was responsible for some of these cult, for some of these antics, but we'll just say that there were some seriously funny games that we had, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, there was a few, you know, a few games where people turn up a bit hungover. Um, no name in names. Which is always fun um, to see them struggle throughout through matches. But of course, there's your Shin City. Yeah, uh, do, do, do you want to talk about that? Or yeah, but I? Uh, you, I think you should talk about it and then I'll correct so, it. So, I can't remember who we were playing, to be honest. No, no. I remember I was at point. I yeah. think I was fielding at point. Yeah, and the so. ball went past me. He hit it cleanly. The, it, the guy it, hit it yeah. cleanly. He hit it cleanly, yeah. But for some reason, I thought, I'm going to stop it with my foot. Mm. It's like a foot, like you would a football. Yeah. And I just stuck my foot out and it hit like right <laughs> on the bone of yeah. my ankle. Yeah. And I was like... Nah, this is pain and then from then on I think I was just shinny wasn't I yeah. for, for a good year and a half well, I'm, I'm going to give you a bit more credit because I feel that the ball was going pretty quick and pretty low down from what I remember so I feel it was one of those ones that I think I must have going got to reach, two but, minds, it, but then it's yeah, just an instinctive yeah. thing you stick your leg out just to block it because you probably thought you weren't going to get it with your legs with your arms sorry because it was he hit it cleanly it was coming at some pace so that's I remember the noise as well it was, it was horrible yeah, yeah proper knocking so uh I must admit, my memory isn't brilliant for specific specific memories. It was always great. Like you said, we, we had a good time. We we won quite a lot. We were a good team, but I think that was the thing that... We weren't the main team. We weren't the main team. Yeah. <laughs> were, were, we, were we called something? The Tigers or something? I think we something, said, like something like that. We yeah. had some name. But, um, but I think that for me, that's what... For me, that's what sport is all about. Overly competitive, overly um, important. Maybe that's not quite for me, but this team was... We had fun. We, again, we took the cricket seriously. We had a good time. And when we did some winning, if we as well, don't so. shout any, out any players, by the way, don't at us, please. <laughs> this is this is a long pod. We haven't got that. We haven't got that much time. I think for me, those those Friday night training sessions were such an escapism for me, like mm. such a welcome relief from like all the bullying that I had at school because it was just a different environment and it gave me some of the best times I think I had probably during during that period. You know, in many ways, I would look forward to those Friday night fish and chips that we'd have because mm. it was just like something different it was just a, something away from that you know that horrible environment i'm sure it, i'm sure it wasn't that extreme for you but did it give you that you know escape and distraction when we had those net sessions and like i remember that i remember that one time when, when i went into bat at like eight at night or something <laughs> like that and i just just get got hit six you, times i just you, turned my back on the ball you kept turning i couldn't see it i couldn't see the ball well, that was why you've got a bat and helmet on but yeah it did become a bit of a game but yeah no i maybe not to the to the to the level of you but definitely i think it's always important to have something to look forward to. And again, I think that it, it split up the, you know, no one, I don't think any kid particularly likes going to school. So it, again, it gives you something to aim for at the end of the week. And it was, again, a place to see your mates, have some fun. And so, again, I don't think I thought about it that much at the time, but I'm sure it had a, a, a massive effect on me. I think not having that in the, maybe the, the university years, maybe first years mm. of, of, of work with, with injuries and things like that, I definitely noticed that actually that's something that needs to be in my life mm. for me to be happy because it's, it's something that makes me happy. Do you want to tell the story of the 49 not out or shall I? 
Oh, to be honest, mate, I think we've. I think that that, done that it to pony's death, it's been not dried. Been, it's not been put on a podcast before. That's so true. Do you want to tell it? Podcasts are written in ink. You yeah, know exactly. I mean? So um, yeah, I can tell that story. So this might have been. It was the greatest and worst day of my life, <laughs> cricket wise. Um, we were playing like Fairlop or someone. Someone we like were, that, Chigwell. Yeah, that I think, I think it was like at like that, the yeah. police academy grounds or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were and towards this time I was becoming a bit of an all rounder. I'd come in at like four or five. I want to say the day was just going beautifully for me. I was hitting sixes, fours, and basically I think it. We were under 16s, whatever it was. You can you get to 25 and then you retire. Uh, so you get 25 runs and you come out and then if there's, and then at the end when everyone else is out, you come back whoever's in. Whoever's like whoever's left. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you come back in and you can finish. And they, I believe you can only get to 50. I, I think it might be another 25, but I, could, mm. I don't quote. Must me have been close to that. And Fred, being the great batsman that he is, was down at number what, 11, 10, 10. 10 was that 10? And his mate got out, and then I came in to finish my innings, and again I was just on form, smacking it around, smacking it around. Got to 48, you know, creeping up to the big what the big boys. And then I got to 49, but then the over ended, went to Freddie, and Freddie came up to the, you know, in the I middle. I think, in my defence, I feel like I had made a couple runs, so maybe I got a bit gassed. You might have done, I can't really remember. I definitely wasn't on like naught. But your high score is four. Eight. Eight, Thank you. sorry. Two edges for sorry. four. Apologies. Yeah, you might have got a couple of runs, but this is the thing. You come up to me <laughs> in between overs and say, all right, James, I know you're on 49, I'm just going to get the single and then get you on strike. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like Fred, you're a quality Do you know bloke. what? It was before I knew the spinner was coming on. Yeah, which was unbelievable. So I was like, "Fred, you're a good bloke. You're a good guy. You know, best mate, oldest mate. We'll get the, we'll get the, uh, get the fifty. And of course, what does Fred do? First ball runs down the wicket. Second ball. Second ball. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Runs down the wicket. Misses the ball. Gets out. And I'm out in forty nine. Never got a, never got a competitive half century because of this man. <laughs> oh, good times. Good yeah. times. One sport you love and probably love more than any other mm. is Formula One. Definitely. Now, I cannot count the number of times you put the qualifying on at 7am on a Saturday mm-hmm. and woke me up to watch it. Mm-hmm. Reluctantly, I have to ask here. I've got it down on this running order. <laughs> Why do you love it? It's a very good question, Freddie. I've thought about this a lot since you've sent me over the running order and things. And I would say it's the top, if not only, passion of my life. I think it's the only thing that I'm truly passionate about. It's my number one thing. I, I don't know why I like it. I'm interested in the strategy of it. I'm fascinated by the speed and the technology of it. It's just, it seems, it's like an old, it's just the ultimate sport. It's a thousand people work on a team that all do individual skills. They're all the best of the best. And it culminates in two cars, which are just, to the regulations, the best they could possibly be. And it's exciting. And I, I, I think it's partially down to, my dad, my dad's been a Formula One driver for for his whole life, you know, since the since the 60s, a Formula 70s. One driver. Sorry, Formula One fan. Jesus Christ! That would have been, <laughs> see, that would have been a revelation. Wow, what, 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 what a pod revelation that'd that have been. You kept that quiet. Formula One fan since the late sixties, early seventies. I watched it with him all the time. We talk about it a lot. So I guess that that's the massive part of my love for Formula One, that the relationship I have with it and my, and my dad. So Would that, um, was that the most important thing you would say? Like it's it's obviously you know because you love it, but also because of the relationship you have enjoying it with your dad, like I have with my dad and Huddersfield. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. Yeah, definitely. I think we've probably only missed. Well, we must have missed maybe one a year just from. Well, we've always watched it, but not together. Uh, just from being in different places when they're on, but it's just I don't. It's just one of those things that's just always been there in my life. It's for as long as I remember, it's been there, and it's been something I've massively enjoyed. And lucky enough that I've been able to watch it with my dad this whole time. So it's one of those things I'm sure subconsciously. And again, I, I feel like it'd probably give me ten minutes. I could say say a lot more, but it's it's just it's an exciting sport. And it's one of the, Murray Walker, the legendary F1 commentator, always said that anything could happen in Formula One, and likely it does. So it's just it's something that I guess that's with all sport, but it's just been something that's 
the strategy fascinated the human aspects of it the the mechanical aspect of it it's just been something that's fascinated my whole life yeah for the for the listeners i'm not like a hater i do respect formula one massively and i've always like at least attempted to f- have a basic level of conversation with you mm. through, and I, I probably learned more about formula one just reluctantly having been forced to watch it really, to be honest <laughs> But it's just not... I mean, I can watch the first five laps and the last five laps of the real thing, but I can't watch practice and quality. I'll never be able to get over that. No, well, that's practice is particularly extreme. That is like for the noises. That's an F1 noise. I do watch practice, I must admit. For me, practice is more... It's the first uh, instance of Formula 1 at the weekend. So it's like, you know... You get your fix. You know, I have to watch a little bit. It's not massively interesting, but... You find out little bits about, you know, how people's long run, you know, long, long paces and things like that. So... And it's, but I think for mainly it's just me being around Formula One, being exposed to Formula One. That's that's the main thing. I've always found your relationship with your sporting relationship with your dad really interesting. I guess he was obviously always supportive of all the sports you played, and like you said, you know, he was um, he used to take you to the park and do all those football drills. He was never <laughs> ever shy from criticizing you <laughs> constructively. I would say as well. I remember one game where you got out. I think we were playing at home. You know. I remember this so vividly for some reason. We, we, you got out playing across the line. He went, Jamesy, you're playing across the line there. <laughs> I, th- I think I remember that as well, actually. <laughs> yeah. Did those instances ever affect you in any way? Or did you just see it as like, you know, him pushing you in the right direction when you needed it? Probably a little bit of both. I'm sure. I think now I appreciate it a lot more. I think there were, were times where I would be frustrated by it. Cause, you know, you'd, you'd get out. Again, you're like 13, 14, you get out. And then you, you don't really want to hear you the kind of want, you, afterwards. I think you personally, know? you want a bit of sympathy. But actually, well, the other person might not feel you did something right so um but i don't know i think yeah there was always cases of that but i think you, you saw a certain aspect of him but then you know when i get home or when we get in the car we talk about things and i always knew he was proud of me and he'd always tell me that and he mm. always not maybe brag's not the right word but you know you get home he'd say yeah, guess what james did brag today about their kids are absolute nauseous but so. maybe not brag but like you know we, when i get home he'd tell mommy like guess what james yeah. did you know that sort of thing so i think you need a bit of pushing because i think especially for me i think people keep telling you how good you are you're not gonna do anything i think that's, I, that's worse I'd i'm that's someone worse, that can be, be i'm yeah. definitely someone that can rest on laurels and i think that you need that certain aspect you need a bit of someone saying actually because you think everything everything you think you do is amazing and all you know what i mean so i think it's just you need that bit of pushing but there was always you know there was always praise and love on the other side as well mm. so the last part of this topic is your love affair with american football <laughs> do you want to just talk about how the interest in that began and took hold and then when you started playing it at university as well i've always had a connection with the states obviously my sister was born there parents lived there for five or six years in the mid to late 80s they flirted with going back before i was born as well so i've always had a, i've always had a connection with america and i think the first time i properly got into american football was madden 13 i want to say it was cheap in sex or something and i'd seen adverts for it on the tv and obviously it's slightly interesting in the sport so i bought it and me and our mutual friend Tommy Bauer played a lot of Madden 13. And I think that's that's where I fell in love with the sport. I, I bought it mainly because I wanted to learn the rules. So I think there was obviously interest there before. But we played a lot of it. My team's the New England Patriots, which is very lucky because they've been absolutely smashing absolutely the last glory, years. Absolutely glory, Hunter. But I've got an excuse for that. Parents are from the region. I had a lot of America for Patriots and Red Sox to, gear I'll, I'll as a kid. I'll give you that. So I'll, I'll take that. It's just another sport that I've just been hooked on. It's completely different to any sport I've ever played. I'm not, I'm not a massive rugby person, which I think people I think is people's easy comparison with American football, which isn't quite right. But I think it's one of those things that you watch a lot of it, lots of what of it, and you think you can do it. And I think that's why I wanted to go to... I didn't want to go to university and play football again. I wanted to try something new. So that's mm. why I played American football. So it was a step out of your comfort zone as well. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but I think it's one of those ones that it's a positive comfort zone. If you know, I wanted to do it rather than you feeling, you know... Anxious. Uh, yeah, yeah, so... 
Um, it was something I wanted to get involved in. I really enjoyed it. I played wide receiver, let the you know jokes ensue there, um, for four years. Caught one ball. Wow. Yeah, I want to say that's more on our quarterbacks than me. We did a lot of running. That's the problem. You, you have this vision of what American football is because you watch on the television and you watch American you know colleges and things like that. And you come to the UK university and play American football. It's not quite the same. But you mean the standard? Yeah, it's a lot of you know muddy fields, a lot of crunching into each other and a lot of running the ball. So, uh, But I really enjoyed it. There's, I'm sure it's character building standing on standing on a field of you know, minus five, you know freezing your bath not going on the pitch uh, wearing 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 spanks so i really enjoyed it again and there was the other aspect of that is the social aspect of wearing football i met loads of great guys who are still mates now we still play um tag football we started played it over the over christmas period so again it's i think it's just competition i seek out little bits of competition i don't go too far with the competition but I, that's what i seek out i think in my so how does the camaraderie compare with regular football and cricket that you played I say it was relatively similar. I think the the guys at American Football at Kent were trying not to be rugby players. The older lot, when I first arrived, the fourth or fifth years, hated the rugby lot, so they tried to be so different to that, you know. Which again, I appreciate. You don't want to do those initiations that the rugby and players do. I guess do. a lot of uni rugby is quite toxic. Not all, yeah. but some. Yeah, I, think I can imagine it being. So you hear, you know, horrendous stories. So I think it was a weird sort of transition. I think the the older guys are a bit more. You felt more on edge around them. They felt a bit more like hardened uni people. Do you know what I mean? And they were a bit more dickish if you want to use that word well the other the, obviously the guys the second or third years that i got to knew and then the the kids underneath us it was a slightly different dynamic i'd say it was slightly less laddish actually i think people feel maybe it was because it was at university as well i think people felt more comfortable in their own skin there was a fair amount of pokemon chat which i couldn't really get involved with pokemon go just pokemon in general right we had one um every christmas we play offense versus defense you play both sides so we had to come up with our own things and the whole thing was the whole code names were pokemons and i was just completely lost. you never played it never played not, it right? not even like pokemon no, red no no i i never had a game i had a game Boy advance sp you crazy. i blame you for that for all the headaches you used to get from playing them yeah but that was because i was dehydrated which exactly I didn't know. I mean, you stared at the screen as well without blinking yeah oh no right. that was because i play i played it for so long but didn't drink any water that was why <laughs> well there we go it's still your fault <laughs> i can play ps4 for five hours now i just gotta drink water at the same time but that was a reason, so... I mean, do we want to share that Centurion story, or...? No, nah, we don't have to share that, do we? Well, it's give an inkling. Well, was, was, a... was that the kind of good stories? Like, the, yeah, the fun but, stuff? Yeah, but that didn't, that didn't happen very often. I think that's that's more... I feel that's university culture rather than, like, laddish masculine yeah, culture true. doing the Centurion. It's particularly grim. We did it with Frosted Jacks, which is a disgusting Oh, cider. for any of the listeners who don't know what Centurion is, it's a drinking game where you drink a shot or small glass of a chosen beverage mm. a minute once a minute once a minute yeah. for 100 minutes for 100 minutes it did not go well no i don't think we got to the end of it we got i think we got to it got to the 80s 85 or yeah i think and then so. we were like we need to get into the club because we, we won't be yeah. able to do it if we get well, there was just one guy dan who was on the opposite wall and he was just, over the 100 minutes he just slowly slipped down the wall shout out dan if he's listening yeah he was yeah. Just, he slowly slipped down the wall to be sitting on the floor at the end so I don't think there was as much as a drinking culture. There was obviously a drinking culture in there. You know, you had to do your, you had to do your snake bites and things like that. But I don't think it was as, was like, you know, toxic masculine or over the top masculine, if you want to say that. It was more, and they were just, they were just really friendly guys. And there was just a whole mix of people. I think that's what you have to have with American football teams. You have to have a mix of, you know, large people, small people, which I think helps out. I think, you know, there's such an image aspect of football and things like that. Well, I think American football, because you need a wide range of people and you need every single person on that team. I think it, it creates a you bit You mean like more... body types and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, body yeah, types yeah. and heights. It just, I think it just it creates a bit more inclusivity because you need you need people. And I think football and things, you, people can it become a bit more of a, a show. You mean like you know? people are trying to like get to that peak level of physical perfection? Mm. I just I think I maybe I just associate football with a few more like people. That just, yeah, yeah. Like, a bit more into their looks than they need to be. So yeah. in yeah. American football, it just wasn't like that. 
We've talked about goals don't move, your sporting career, your playing career. I want to move slightly away from sport now and talk about your journey, mate. So I know the answer to this first question, but for any non-wanted listeners who don't know you, just tell me a bit about your early life, your childhood and teenage years. And looking back, do you think you had any early mental health experiences? You know, who's the James that we meet here? My name is James Lamb. I'm 26, born and raised in East London. Uh, once did to be specific. I've got two parents and a sister, mum, dad and sister. Um, yeah, so I've lived in once in my whole life. Went to primary school in Wanstead, then went to secondary school just down the road from me. And then went to University of Kent to study uh, American history. I feel I had a really good childhood. I feel relatively sheltered childhood, I want to say now, looking back on it. But one pretty easy going. I don't think I've, you know, I've, I feel I've lucked out here in, in life. Um, my family are brilliant. We get on really well. We went on Loads of holidays as, as kids, which I look back now and I really, really appreciate. I don't think I had too many mental health issues or anything like that. I, don't, I must admit, I think, or if, if, if not, if I did, I didn't. I don't think I really You're identified them, them or yeah, was aware yeah. of them. The childhood teenage James is, I feel, is quite different to who I am now. Mm. But in the core, obviously, I'm, I'm pretty much the same person. The, mm. the values I, I feel I've grown, been grown up on and um, I still have. But I think there's been a fair bit of change, I want to say, mm. maybe the last five years. Growing up, you were always the host for mm-hmm. everything, you know, FIFA sessions, football mostly, mm-hmm. bit of cricket, then, you know, parties, pre-drinks and all sorts of, you know, other shenanigans. Did that happen naturally and did you ever feel any pressure to be the host? I think I've got to give pretty much all the hosting pre- credit to my mum, Linda Young, give a shout out to her because she, again, so she, she, I think she was the, the real host, I just happened to be there as well. <laughs> I don't. I think it. I think obviously location has a big factor in it. You literally are next to the school. The, so. the high school. I feel that's where my hosting came into effect. I had three or four other guys in my tutor group: Dan, Shane, Sam, and Matt, who used big to come round. Big up, Matt. Big up, Dan. Who used to come in the mornings to play Call of Duty before school. My house is right up the road from my high school. Best start to your day, isn't it? Call so you know, before. they woke me up at eight o'clock. <laughs> they played twenty minutes of Call of Duty while I had cereal and got dressed, and then we went downstairs and then we went to school. Always late as well. Even though I lived two minutes from school, we were always late. <laughs> And then again, come back, you know, during sixth form, we were lucky enough to be able to go out for lunch. So, you know, a close friends group would come around at lunchtime. So I think that I think that's probably where it naturally came from. And again, my mum was always offered them a drink and a biscuit. Mm. Biscuit tin was always full up. You know, there was always things to do. So I think geography had a, had a slight factor. And obviously I was close to the school. So it was just easy for me to say, do you want to come around? You know, mm. people on the way home. Um, but then other than obviously the environment in my home, I think I've got to give credit to my mum. She was mm. there. But I think... For me, it was brilliant. I didn't, you know, I, I liked it. I feel like I was always open to having people around my house. I was always wanting people to come around because I think it was just wanting to be around people, wanted to hang out. So, and my mum's a, a pretty social person as well. She's always been, you know, when people come around, she'll, you know, do you want to stay for tea, all this sort of thing. So I think it kind of rubs off on you. You become a, a more inclusive person. So mm. when you were in school, obviously you are as ginger as they come. <laughs> was that ever a problem or something you struggled with or did being good at football sort of allow you to avoid that proverbial low hanging fruit? I think I have struggled with it at times. There was definitely when I was younger, a need to be like everyone else. I want to say I did feel like I stood out, but I would say in terms of bullying or anything, I don't think I had that. I've seen sure. you have, you know, you have the, the jibes, cheap, it's, the yeah. cheap, it's a cheap shot. I think that's yeah. basically what it is. It's, and that, I think that can get you down. You know, there's a lot of things, you know, just the curtain match the drapes and all that sort of thing. You know, like, 
those sort of childish questions. And now I'm proud to be ginger. I absolutely love it. It's 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 a massive part of my identity, and it, I've, I like being different in that respect. Um, As you get older, your dif- difference is, I guess, more appreciated by other people, and it's celebrated. Whereas yeah. difference when you're in a ki- well, when we were kids, yeah, was not. Um, yeah, was, I would agree. It with definitely that. wasn't. I think there was, you know, in our primary school, there were I think there were two other ginger kids. So it wasn't Matt. It wasn't like it was just me on my own. So I always saw people that were that had ginger hair. My sister has ginger hair, so. It was never anything massive, but the, was, I think the main thing was it was you want to be. You, I think it's everyone's natural thing. You want to you don't want to be really standing out. You want to, you want to be in the in, crowd. Yeah, yeah. So I think there was a slight bit of that. I tried to. We had there was a, a fancy dress party in like year eight, on, and I decided I was going to dye my hair to be a blues brother, and it didn't do anything, absolutely nothing. <laughs> so, so I think there, there is an aspect of me wanting to be like other people, and I think it has had. It's just that sort of go to that people can bring you down with. You know? When did that change then? It's a good question. I don't know if there was a particular instance, but I think I just naturally... Just sort of like an evolving over yeah. time of like think, embracing it more. I think yeah. in primary school, I don't think I ever thought about it. There were well, other, none of there us other kids. We? I think we live quite a sheltered primary school. Obviously, we'll get onto certain issues and stuff, but we were into a church school. It felt pretty sheltered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't think about it then, but I think when you get into, you know, get into high school, the digs come and things like that. Again, it's, you know, you have a disagreement with someone, it's just their one thing they have over you. you know, yeah, it's, an easy, so, it's an easy go-to, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, so that's a little bit of a dig. But apart from that, it didn't really affect me. It would probably be fair to say that secondary school was, I mean, you know, no one has a perfect time, but you had a, as good a time as you can probably say. I'd, I think so. Yeah, yeah I'd say yeah. that. Let's fast forward to the end of year 13 now you get your a-level results and they're not what you want and you make the decision to retake year 13 whilst all the rest of us including me go over to go off to uni firstly do you think you worked hard enough in those first two years was it bad luck or do you look at it now as actually those average results were kind of the kick up the bum you needed to go on and get the results you wanted especially as university was seen as this be all and end all thing for, for all of us i would say yeah, I think it's the first, the first one and last one. I definitely did not work hard enough. That's one hundred percent true. And then, and it was, it was a kick up the butt I needed. I failed pretty much from the get go. A level, um, AS, I got two C's and E and a D. Taking subjects, I wanted, to, I thought I wanted to become a physiotherapist. So I was taking biology, maths. Um, I remember that now, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. so that's wow, what, that's I something that. I wanted, thought I wanted to do. So I did biology, maths, PE, and history. And I thought I was pretty good at history. So that C was probably the one that I was probably most angry about. Well, I just didn't work hard enough. Simple as, and um, I didn't take. I took. I think I probably took it for granted. I did pretty well at GCC, so I thought I, was, I felt again, like I said earlier, it was like resting on my laurels a little bit. I feel like A-levels were, were almost harder for me than my degree. They were hard. It's something that I 100% needed and I wouldn't change for the world. I did sociology. I retook history and I took up English. I, I was going down a, a path that actually I, was, I enjoyed and I was good at. I think physiotherapy was me just kind of putting my love of sport into my, into my world and realising I'm not going to be professional so what's kind of close to that i got to physio so so do you think if you actually had gotten i'm not going to say like excelled at but if you had got like say above average mm. do you think now that actually that would have been the wrong thing because it would have put you on a path that you wouldn't have ended up not enjoying maybe or something like that yeah potentially i think you hear the word you hear the title physiotherapy and you sound you know it sounds cool and things so i don't think i saw the work that went into it but actually i think I didn't enjoy the the science stuff. It was in, relatively interesting, but it wasn't. I didn't have that interest to put the time into. While well, history and things like that, I did. But seeing all you guys go off to university was relatively hard. But I think again, I only had myself to blame. How hard was that for you? I mean, if it was me, I mean, I don't know how I would have probably dealt with it because when you are in sixth form, you're still in that mindset of you know, like your school networks, your world, mm. and your world still feels quite small. So was that quite hard for you? 
or were you kind of lucky in the sense that you had school you went to the year 12s ended up moving up obviously and we had good relationships with them already from the boys at cricket you know will and spike and people like that and lloyd um, and lloyd yeah shout out lloyd so were you quite lucky in the sense that you had that sort of almost like a safety net of friends and people that you could ingratiate yourself into for the next year yeah, I'd say so. He did. It was a bit of a strange feeling that first day back. After everyone had gone, it was sort of, you know, where do I go eat my lunch? You know, I'd done this, you know, I'd met the same people for five years, you know, you play for, on the top field and things like that. So, did you feel a bit of embarrassment? I did. Yeah, I did. But like having to explain why you were still there to people. Yeah, that was because uh, obviously I took up sociology. I did sociology in one year. So I was with it in the class of year 12s when I was in year 14, if you want yeah. to call it that. So I was 18 and they were 16. That was tough. That was tricky. Um, I, feel, I did feel a great deal of embarrassment about that. But I think that was more embarrassment. I knew I'd, I hadn't done enough. Yeah, it's in it yourself a, rather yeah, than they so, were like taking the piss out of you. So it was a relatively big kick up the backside and parents weren't happy. And mum, again, credit to her, she helped kick me up the arse and get me going, figure out what to do. So mm. that was a real growing up period. And it's just little things like I remember talking to my parents about, okay, I think I'm going to drop PE and maths because I'm just not good at them. I want to take up sociology. And I've always interested in English, but it was one of those ones, I think I go with what people expected of me, not actually what I thought I wanted to do with the physio thing. I thought, oh, well, you know, I'm sporty. And I, so I think... So you're almost like playing up to yourself? Sort of. I, I feel like I would rather be in pain or embarrassed than let other people know or let them think they're embarrassed of me, if you know what I mean. I'd yeah. rather please them than myself so I think that's a so it's a people pleasing element as well yeah I think so and I remember going to standing outside the English office going to talk to Mr Latham who's one of the nicest people you ever meet in your life to talk about switching to English from PE and I just I stood out the off, outside the office for about 10-15 minutes and I was very close to just going home to saying to my parents they weren't there I'm going to keep going with PE when I wanted to go into that room but it was just the embarrassment of putting yourself out there and talking mm. to people about it and I went into that room and I'm so bloody happy that I did because mm. I don't know what would happen. So it's one of those things that I look back on those days and think, like, what were you thinking? You get to university now. You got better results than me, which you lord over <laughs> me sometimes, even though it took you three years to do it. Where three you for studied, one, one for another. Whatever. Yeah. You studied at the University of Kent reading American history. First off, by being there a year later, you met the lifelong friends you have now. It, so it almost like worked out, I guess, in a way. You know, I always say that everything happens for a reason. Mm. So do you think fate was kind of playing a part there? I would agree with you, Fred. Everything happens for a reason. I think that's probably the the, more, the thing I look back on my life and think things can work out. Because it was insane how you ended up in a flat with someone I knew from school. Yeah, and Kudrat's, you know, our year. Louis, our year as well. So we had people that had done the similar, well, doing different years, um, extra years, we're the same age. So again, I, I look back on my life and I think, what, how different would my life be? Obviously, I wouldn't know if it was different if I did physio. Sure. You know, go down a different path, but I'm so so happy that I met those people and had the time that I did did you feel like you were playing catch up at all or was it just really natural when you just went to uni and everyone no, was in the same I think it's yeah, just yeah because yeah. again but I did have I think having Kudrat there helped she was the first person I met at uni she lived across the hall from me I mean that's quite spooky actually mm, that she, yeah she went she's to in the same flat she's in the same school as me I didn't mm. obviously know her because mm. well, I, I knew her from parties and yeah. I ended up meeting her there but she went to the sixth form there and I left but it was yeah. I still think sometimes I just think about that I'm like how the hell did that happen of mm. all the flats of all the accommodation yeah, pretty mad you ended up in the same flat as her it is pretty mad um, she messaged me two days and we didn't really know each other that well and she said to me like oh you know i'm in this new flat with um you know in uni and i'm with like someone you know i'm like get out who's person you know <laughs> she was like oh james lamb i was like that's literally my best mate. how the hell has this happened 
So yeah, it was spooky. Man. It is spooky. funny how they, you know, the, it's the world's a small place. But I think having her there, who had done it, she, she'd taken a year out to work and things like that. So she'd kind of deferred. So it was good to have that other person because it felt like I wasn't, he would say, you know, I went from blah, 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 I did all this, did this straight to university. Well, I had that sort of like embarrassment hanging over me mm. saying, you know, I failed and I had to retake. There's a stigma. So yeah, I'd say so. But I think it was more in my head. You know, you tell people and they go, oh, okay, fair. And, yeah. you know, and they move on with their lives. Well, for you, it, it, you hold on to it. So yeah, it was. It, I couldn't have asked for a better group of friends and they're going to be friends for life. So mm. You prolonged your university life even more by studying for a year abroad in South Carolina where you had loads of great experiences and met Goals Don't Move co-host, Phil. Did indeed. Absolute legend. What was that like as you were also managing a then long distance relationship? Did, mm. that, did that ever place any strains on your mental health? Just, not just the relationship, you know, having the being in long distance, but also mm. just being away in a different country for a year. Or was it, did you just completely embrace it and was like, this is going to be like one of the best experiences of my life I'm just going to do it. I think I relatively embraced it, but I think I've had certain issues for a long time that I probably just didn't identify or live up to. Address. Address, that's the word. That's the right word. So, yeah, the long distance relationship, obviously, they're they're always tough, but I don't think it would have been as enjoyable 100% without her. Having that, having that person with you. Um, and we- you never told me you struggled either. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously you might have been and you never told me, mm. but whenever I spoke to you on the phone or whatever, you never said to me like, it's really tough right now and blah, blah, blah. You always seemed quite in a steady place about it. Yeah. That, well, that, was that an accurate assessment? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I don't think I would ever... I had an amazing time. Like, it was unbelievable. The people I met out there, probably became friends with a very good friend of mine now, Jess Crabb, who I knew of um, beforehand, but then we became really good friends out there. So... It was a fantastic year. It was kind of everything I expected and more, really. I've always wanted to study in the States or live in the States at some point in my life. And this opportunity came along with Kent to do it. And it was phenomenal. I picked the school based on its sports program because that was kind of the aim of the, the year. Because you, you had to pass the year, but you didn't count towards your degree. You just had to basically, it was pass fail. And I found it relatively easy, the schoolwork, because of you know you could take books into exams and there was no extra reading. It was just go to the lectures, write some notes and you'll be fine. So educational aspects of the year didn't really get involved with <laughs> didn't really get in the way of the social aspects there was a lot of going out a lot of going to football matches basketball matches baseball matches and a lot of hanging around which was, again I think that's what you want it was university with the schoolwork being relatively easy so mm. but again with the long distance ratio it was, it, was, it was tough at times but it was great at times as well so mm. I think I, I, we'll get onto it with my inability to get uh, talk about emotions and things like that that's obviously that becomes more extenuated when you're away from someone you can only see them on a screen or talk to them over the phone i'm sure there were definitely periods of, of trickiness but mm. overall it was a fantastic experience you finally graduate and i say finally because bloody hell you were, <laughs> you're almost a 30 year old man by the time you graduate two years late and like the rest of us you know you're trying to carve out a path for yourself in this weird adult world like how i sort of fell into communications you fell into the world of hr once you're in it what was it that made you want to pursue it properly i'd say there's there's a couple factors the people aspect of it it's called a people stretch or people management for a reason the thing i find really interesting about hr is that i seem to i know a lot more about maybe the organization than other people do i found that i i know every single person's name in the organization i know exactly well i know not exactly what they do but i know what they do i find the strategic aspects of hr uh, really interesting the admin part you kind of have to do and get on with but H for me HR is how can we create the best environment for people to work in the most attractive environment the most productive environment so I find that interesting the different ways of you can do that and with working at the British Academy we're a generalist HR department so we do all aspects of uh, the HR so it's been really interesting I'm I lead our well-being strand of the uh, the people strategy so I've been doing a lot of mental health first aid training and we're figuring out how we're going to implement a plan and things like that so I just find it 
the multiple aspects of what the role is, how an organization runs, like how is it day to day, is it how does it run, how can we make it better? I think I find that really interesting. You also recently passed some HR qualifications, which I know you've been working on for quite a long time. Mm. Just tell me about those and the sense of achievement you had once you did them. Yeah, so I did the level five intermediate diploma in HR management. It's a CIPD. So that was 14 months after work and weekends. And I'm proud of it now. I'm definitely proud of it. I think when I'm in it, I find myself getting down myself. I think these things aren't very good or I don't think I've ever been 100% happy with a piece of work I've submitted. I always find I don't think it's very good. Studying is never fun. The studying, again, it's one of those things I, I must admit halfway through, I was like, oh God, is this really what I want to do? Because I was finding it quite hard other things were going on in my life it was bogging me down but I think that's mainly it's the studying part of it I enjoy the practical part of HI and now I've finished it I can see I naturally go back to bits of the of course where I see in HR in the professional sense and in the practical sense as well mm. So that was good. I think it's just the studying, especially I've never done studying around something else. I've always either studied or worked. So that was another aspect of working all day and then having to come home. But I was really, I was pretty disciplined with it. I'm happy with my self-control, my motivation for finishing it, my work ethic. I'm proud of that. I passed the, every module every time, first time. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud of myself. And that's why I'm, I'm trying to be a bit more positive about myself because I mm. found that I can get quite negative. So. Mm. It was something I felt I needed to do and I'm really happy I did it. Last year, you had a long-term relationship which you did have for the best part of five years end. We're not going to talk about the relationship itself, but the aftermath, I don't think I've ever seen you openly at least be as unhappy as you were and as down as you were, which is completely natural and completely understanding. And I think I found it quite hard from a best mate perspective because I was trying to kind of like talk to you. I was trying to like get you into a place where you were better. Perhaps maybe I was investing too much. Maybe I was trying too hard. I definitely struggled because I saw how external unhappy you are so god knows how you must have been feeling inside you were quite withdrawn from me you avoided going out quite a lot mm. i mean you were never a massive night <laughs> owl anyway but just tell me about what those first few weeks and months were like for you and, and your mental health would you say you ever felt depressed during that time or was it more just an, an intense period of sadness i'd probably say it was more of an intense period of sadness yeah it's, it's the worst i've ever felt i've always found myself to be a relatively happy and level-headed person mm. but this was I'd say this was probably the start of my mental health awakening. It was really tricky and I've talked to a friend about it, about the difference between depression and sadness. sadness. Yeah, this is different and we should point, make that clear. I've recently done mental health first aid training so we go into depression. I, I, I don't think it was that, but I also don't think I did. It's just, I don't want to feel like, I, I don't know what it is, I feel like I don't deserve to have that Inval sort Don't of, invalidate your experience. But you know what yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that, that, that's why I'm trying to say, that's how I felt about it. Come on James, your life's fine, why would you, yeah, you're not depressed, you know what I mean? Like, I, I didn't have enough issues to be depressed, but I don't think I was. I think it was just a particularly horrible part of time in your life because I think it's just since we've had again since we've had this running order I've been trying to figure out ways of saying how I feel and the best way I can describe it is that you have these memories that you've had for the last four or five years you had the memories and experiences that when you think about them make you incredibly happy but now they've been tinged and they, you, you felt sad about I felt sad about them mm. do you think you've have got you to a stage where like you now feel like you look back on it with a lot of happiness and like you can you remember all the good times yeah I think like so it still makes my heart beat quickly when I think about it I don't know I find that have you seen inside out the film mm. the, Dis the happiness and sadness yeah 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 and sadness accidentally picks up a memory and it makes it sad that's that's probably my best way I can describe it you have these memories but it doesn't have to be a small memory it can be you know, like something in my room that reminds me of her things like that yeah well, beforehand, it would make me happy, but now it makes you sad and you're, you're in an environment where I had a lot of memories. Like I didn't really fancy being in my room a lot and things like that. So 
beforehand you have these memories and it make you happy but now it's making me sad it takes a toll on you mm. i guess time heals with everything and the more that time elapsed the better adjusted you you became mm. i definitely saw that you started the gdm pod you played more football after recovering from injury and you started doing beer reviews on instagram which <laughs> was always a staple of my day <laughs> would it be fair to say during this period you were i guess rediscovering yourself and maybe a bit of your identity you know did you feel like you had lost a bit of it no i wouldn't say i'd lost a bit of it but i would agree that i've I've definitely been a bit of identity searching I think just because it's we were together from when I was 20 to when I was 25 so they're quite formative years of your life you know second year of university up till last year so I think it's not you don't lose a part of identity I think you gain a part of your identity maybe that was maybe that's what it was you know you once you no longer have that relationship in your life you you lose a part of yourself well, so. some people do feel like they invest so much in a relationship where they become as intrinsically part of that person as as the other person is mm. part of them I think actually for some people like that it can be quite a dangerous thing because if that ends I mean fuck me what are you gonna mm. do yeah I think I had quite a big feeling of inadequacy afterwards I think I've always had a slight bit of that that I don't think anything I do is that good I always think I, I overthink a lot I'm constantly thinking, you know, we have a conversation last week and it would constantly come up in my head, you know. Mm. I'd say something that was fine, but then afterwards I think, actually, does that sound weird? Am I being, like, does that make me sound like I'm being mean? Or anything like that. And I just constantly overthink it. So I think... In the relationship, when it was towards the end, I was constantly overthinking that. The thing of the problem I have is that I think of a scenario or I'm in a scenario and I think about it so much. I think of every single possibility that can happen and it feels most of them are negative. So I get... You catastrophize. Yeah, so I just get really nervous about it. I just push it down. I don't want to speak about it. And for me beforehand that was me getting rid of it and feeling okay but actually all I was doing was pushing these emotions further and further down but then when it came to actually speak about them I'd freeze I'd literally I, my mouth comes open I have all these things in my head I just can't get them out I think that that was probably the biggest difference for me I'm trying to be a bit more positive about things I think that was something that comes from the GDM podcast and doing the beer reviews I'd always have this idea you know I'd kept my phone out say beforehand I'd get my phone out I'd do the beer review and I'd just like forensic analyze what I look like what I sound like and then eventually I just wouldn't put it out because I'd feel self-conscious about it I realised I have these these little problems, these little issues. The reason I was feeling nervous before, because I, I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone about these things apart from my parents, maybe. Mm. And even to them, I don't really speak to my dad about these things. I speak to my mum. And it feels like for me, it has to be an overwhelming thing like for me. Crisis. To build and build and build. And then it's, I just can't handle it anymore. And that's when it comes out. Mm. So the last year, this maybe identity founding or doing these different things, I want to be a bit more positive about myself and just go for things. You know, I want to do it. Like, again, I've, I've been interested in doing a podcast for years and it was actually, do you know what? Just do it. Like, why not? So I think that's why I've, I've just been trying to be a bit more positive and a bit more laissez-faire, you know, just do it and see what happens. Don't try and overthink it too much. Don't try and let your own gremlins get in the way because I think that's the thing I, I do a lot. I, but maybe, maybe go to talk about things but then actually have a voice in my head saying no one wants to hear you say it. So... I've been trying to block that out a bit more and just go for it, really. So We were speaking about what you've just talked about a while ago, mate, and your presenting journey. And one thing you said struck out to me, which I'd never heard you say before, which was you said, I have this thing in my head where I start explaining something, then think no one cares what I have to say, inside joke or my life-wise. I mean, that sounds like, I mean, definitely sounds like a form of imposter syndrome. Would, you, would that be fair to say? I don't want to say yes. I don't I 100% know exactly what imposter syndrome is, but I guess so. I think it's just mainly a, a self-confidence thing. Wanting to be right. Don't want to say something and people go, that's ridiculous. I think it's that's the fear me. of others' reactions. Yeah, and I think it's just that comes back to me just not thinking that I'm particularly special or anything. You know, why, should, why would anyone listen to me say that? So... And that again, that's the little sort of, I wouldn't say little voice, but it's that instinct in my head saying, just keep quiet, no one cares. So that's kind of a reason why I wanted to do the podcast as well, just kind of bring myself out of myself a little mm. bit. So Reflecting on your journey so far, who's the James I'm speaking to now as opposed to the one 
five or ten years ago maybe even a year ago such as the period of I guess mental awakening like you said mental improvement self-development do you feel completely different or have you just evolved I probably want to say evolved I don't feel massively different I feel happier now than I did 12 months ago I'll tell you that even six months ago so I think I've I want to be a bit more of a more open person I feel a bit more confident about talking about things inside my head it's just still I've got that problem it's in the head can I actually get it out the way I want to say it because I think I found that I've said I say, do you know what I mean? Quite a lot. Yeah, but we both say that. But I think that's coming from me, not. Oh, do you think it's like to... you like feeling pressure to make sure the person knows what you actually? Yeah, do. I feel like yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I have this again. I have a thought. I have a word in my head, and it just it's right there, and I just cannot think for the, for the life of me what it is. So I said word that's similar, but not quite the word I'm looking for. I think I've, I've noticed over the last like five or six years, I've said, do you know what I mean? Way too much and a lot more than I used so to. As a tick. But I, again, I think I think I'm a bit more of a more confident person in myself and being comfortable talking about these things. So I think I'm definitely more of an evolution rather than a, a big change. Because mm. again, I've still yeah. got those those issues. So and looking forward now, what hopes or aspirations do you have for the future? Not just in life, but for your mental health as well. I want to be a bit more forward planning, a bit more. That's why we're quite opposites, because I am very forward planning mm. and you're not. I think I've been. I kind of I do a step by step, and I think I kind of want to have a little bit more of a plan. In in life, I, again, I don't really know. I'm hoping to move out relatively. soon soon it will help me become i feel like you know become an actual adult yeah i feel relatively that, i think relatively not immature but i think i feel lack of responsibility do you know what i mean like, yeah. I, I still live at home which i'm very happy i'm very lucky to be able to stay there with my parents and they're happy for me to do that and the support they give me so for me to, to take that extra step into be feel a bit more responsible for things feel a bit more mature i think that's the next step to move out and have a bit more independence so and mental health wise i think it's i've, I've i think I've, I've become where i've got a lot more into mental health mainly due to you starting it and your experiences obviously we'll, we'll get onto that so i think i want to be a bit more aware and a bit more educate myself on the different areas of mental health and that comes along with my within my professional life as well because that's something that i've i've learned to really like and really be interested in the last like 12 months in my hr career so they will help um, wove themselves into each other during the difficult times that you've had in the last you know let's say year and a half and and maybe to a certain extent other periods of your mm. life before that what do you think you learned about yourself that i'm probably a bit more resilient than i give myself credit for I feel like I am. A, I have my flaws, but I feel like I'm a, a good person. I think I just need to give myself a bit more leeway, um, a bit more credit, maybe a bit more credit, or just make just kind of a bit more confidence. Just to, I think I've, I've take too much second thought. I actually just you know go with my convictions. I think that's something that I've trust your gut. Yeah, exactly. I think mm-hmm. that's something that I want to do better at. I think I have got over the last you know couple of years, but something that I want to I want to become better at. We have come to the most nostalgic field and probably deep part of this conversation, James, which is going to be our 2023. I want to say so, yeah. 23 year friendship. Nursery. The first memories I ever have is of us playing Formula One cars yep. at your house, old house in mm-hmm. Wanstead. Mm-hmm. I think even then you were a bit of an F1 nose. You always made me be <laughs> Michael Schumacher and you were Mickey Hakkinen. Yeah, yep. Is that right? That is correct. What do you remember of that period, um, if, you, if anything? Well, the first thing I want to say is I mean this is a massive compliment. I don't remember my life without you. I don't wow. remember a particular instance where we first met. I don't know if you do. There obviously must have been nursery. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere. It must have been our mum's meeting and then they must have agreed that we like came around. I must yeah, have I'm sure they yours. Yeah. So I've, that's the thing for me. Been there forever, which is the biggest compliment. If you know what I mean? Like it's, I can't imagine my life without you. You've always been there. So I do remember those, those instances of doing the Formula 1 cars, doing the, do you remember the two Star Wars fighter pod racer. things? Pod racer game, remember yeah, that? Yeah, on the yeah. computer. 
even fish and chips back then we were smashing them out mm. so yeah i think it's you've you've always been in my life really and i can't imagine it without it so mm. i definitely remember watching a lot of the phantom menace how Funny, shit it yeah, was yeah. but we had some sort of ama- amazing uh, <laughs> view of the film like, oh my God. and doing lightsaber battles yeah inside and in public is that something you remember in those primary school days i do yeah i yeah. do remember down in addison road doing a bit of football in the front room Mm. What else do you remember of being in primary school together? Uh, well, I remember little bits of the time. I remember Bugsy Malone. Of course, when you Bugsy were Malone. Baby I was Babyface. I still I, remember I, that I line. I feel I was like, what did I say again? Um, you said like, who's Babyface? No, I'm Babyface. It went down the line, yeah, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah there we go. That. that was good fun, actually. Bugsy Malone, year six, play, bang, bang. I feel, again, like memories of primary school are relatively limited. I remember playing football in the playground against the year fives and things like that. Yes, what, what a day. Um, a few of the characters... Our primary school class was a very weird bunch. One of those, a church school is a strange thing for me now, I feel. Mm. Uh, that was just kind of the norm back then for us, mm. you know, because we went to that school. But it was very sheltered. It yep. was very white. Yeah. So it was completely different to the to high school. But me and Tommy, they were my closest friends from primary school. So it was. I feel overall it was a, it was a good time at primary school. Mm. It was one of those ones that I don't really remember much, yeah. too much about. We were in the same <laughs> primary school class, which is the reason we became friends. Mm. I'm pretty sure our primary school experiences were a lot different at times. Mm. Here's an uncomfortable question. It's probably slightly unfair, to be honest, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you remember me being bullied? And do you think you did enough to help me when I was going through it? Or stand up for me, or whatever you want to call it? I do remember you getting bullied, but I don't think I was fully aware of what it actually was I in, think what, in what sense of maybe that it was so targeted because I thought there were certain people in that class where that would just be mean to everyone but then there was you know they had their certain favourites of the world mm. but and do I think I did enough? I think you can always do more. I remember one time the one time I think I probably did do enough was maybe jumping on you when you were getting into a fight with one of the kids in school um, I won't mention which ironically names. I'm really good friends with him now that, that person exactly so I think I was generally aware that you were having a tricky time I just don't think I appreciated exactly what it was mm. but then I just remember you and him were starting to get into a fight and I think I either pulled you apart and just kind of pulled you away and I don't think I really realised what it meant until your mum called my mum later that day. And I remember sitting on the, on the stairs and mum said, yeah, I heard you did a very nice thing for Freddie today. I think that was probably the first time I realised, actually, they need to do this more, do you know? It's weird because he wasn't... I mean, I've had conversations with him during the years and I'm, he's actually someone I consider a really good friend. I think he wasn't the main culprit. No, he was, I don't he think was, so. He was a boy in that class which was corralled mm. into bullying or picking on me. I don't think he ever properly bullied me because I don't want to chuck him under the bus. But he was probably corrupted. I feel that... He he was more a physical person. Yeah. There were certain evil masterminds in that class. Yeah. Um, that were probably the ringleaders, I would say. And they were particularly nasty. I do remember that. But I don't think I fully appreciated exactly how bad it was. Yeah. And like I say, it was primary school is a very young time. I don't think a lot of kids are aware yeah. of those I'm, sort of again, things. Again, I'm, I'm probably ashamed to admit I'm probably egged people on or joined in slightly when you, you want to be with other people. Mm. So I'm sure I've been guilty of that, which I'm which I'm not happy about, but I'd like to say that, I'd like to hope that I did, that I was a friend. So, I, yeah, I do remember, I do remember parts, but probably not all of it. Yeah, sure. Let's fast forward to secondary school now. We went to different schools. You, again, probably had a nicer time than me. <laughs> Although, that's not to say you didn't have struggles and hardships mm. and everyone's experiences are unique. Given the fact that I didn't really have any friends in school, the only way I kind of saw myself having any was through you introducing me to your year group, which I'm very privileged to know and have a lot of lifelong friends from that school. And I didn't go to it. Did you ever feel like I was suffocating you in any way or invading that personal space no not at all if anything i think i'm someone that if i've got two groups of friends i kind of want them to meet each other because i know that i like them both so i didn't i didn't see it that way at all and if anything it was i wanted you to meet them 
I wanted you to become part of my friends group because you again you're one of my oldest and best friends so um, I didn't see that in that way at all no mm. music's always been something both of us could not be further apart from <laughs> it came to our interest in it despite my best efforts it's fair to say I'm pretty obsessed with music whereas you're pretty I'm not going to say blase but it's just not something you're as passionate about which is which is completely mm. fair I took you to three gigs Two Door Cinema Club um, One Night Only You Me At Six right yeah yeah. I think you probably enjoyed the Two Door Cinema Club the that best. was really good yeah. yeah you could say the same for F1 mm. although I definitely appreciate it do you think that actually this contrast is what makes our friendship quite strong and special because we appreciate we don't have exactly the same interests and can appreciate those differences yeah I'm sure definitely obviously we have some relatively core similarities you know football being one of them you know we have definitely things that we enjoy doing together but yeah I think I definitely I think it's one of those things that again I, I like music I like listening to music but it's not something that I actively go out and find yeah yeah for sure and it's also annoyingly something that just does not stick in my head <laughs> artists song names they just go in, in one ear out the other so unfortunately it's just something that probably is an ailment I'll live with for the rest of my life I just can't seem to get involved but no I think definitely I think you have to have this variety and difference in, in people you have to see it I think if you just you know if we just talked about football the whole time it'd be dull so mm. for me you love the person the interests are a bonus that come with it it's the, it's the core values and the core characters of the person that you fall in love with and the other bits are just added extras mm. I think for me some of my favourite memories during our teenage years were those Call of Duty marathons around your house <laughs> playing football and cricket all the time mm. the sleepovers the underage house parties the ones I was invited to and those incredible films that we made with big friend of the pod Matt Hill mm. was that the same for you? yeah 100% it's just I think that's the thing that I made me realise with my friends that are guys that it's, it, it just seems to be years of silliness which is brilliant. Obviously, it has its maybe its downsides with maybe lack of these sort of chats, but it seems to have just been years of joy for us, Fred, and, and mm-hmm. silliness and fun, which has been brilliant. The bullying that I had in secondary school is obviously pretty horrific, as you know. This is obviously something you, you can probably answer, have a much or little as, as you want. Were you aware at any point how bad it was? Like, did I ever talk about it? Or I don't think I did, but how did you support me as a friend, I guess, during that trauma? Well, I feel... I feel the first time I really realised it was bad was the tomato in the bag story. I don't even remember that. When did that happen? Was it like tin tomatoes or something were put in your Mate, I li- bag? this is literally, I don't even remember this. Do you not remember it? No. I think it was another kid from our primary school. Was it a primary school incident? No, it was definitely secondary school. I remember it was it definitely secondary, secondary school. school. Yeah, and it was okay. something to do with them putting tin tomatoes in your school Mate, bag. Mate, literally, that mm. must have been a memory I've suppressed yeah. or whatever. What, what do you remember? I want to say it was year eight maybe right okay um, I want to say it was where there would have been some sort of back and forth I think he was always on your back and there was always some back and forth between you guys and it just escalated I seem to remember it was like I don't think it was P I think it was on the way home or something or maybe yeah, on the yeah, way to, to yeah, school, I'm starting to, to school it's starting to come back to me now um, yeah, yeah. they like nicked your bag and just ch- chucked like bare like tin tomato and things and that tomato puree and stuff yeah. in it I mean, and maybe, maybe on you as well maybe that's distinctly remember the there bag there was other incidents that I remember of them as yeah. a social group doing that to me but that one I don't remember that was something that really stood out to me well hopefully just by being a friend and being a distraction and being mm. bringing happiness to you hopefully I don't think I did anything in particular I don't think we talked about it that often no. again though I think there were instances like that that I'd hear about things you know bits and pieces popping up but I don't think I know for me it probably would have made me feel uncomfortable because it's made me feel uncomfortable in the past talking about these things so I don't think I probably would have talked to you about mm. it but Hopefully I would have been someone that you can get away from that world. And Did you ever see like the scars of it when I was like at cricket and we were like in groups or like, you know, the scars from primary school where like I would feel like afraid to speak up in a group situation because I think I would think that someone would like bring up an embarrassing thing I said or, do you know, those, those sort of things. Did you ever see that? Maybe. I always thought you were slightly less forward with new people back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. I definitely. think now you're really good at just, you're a confident person, just, well, extroverted person, confident yeah. person just to talk to people. So... 
I think maybe back then it was it took a bit of time for you to get comfortable with people. But apart from that, I, I, I must it was admit, trust, I, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I must admit, I don't remember very well, but I do remember that you you definitely being maybe slightly more. Yeah, there was a tentativeness because yeah, for so long in school, every time I said my name or what team I supported or mm. whatever, it was always followed by abuse. So I felt very cautious about set revealing things mm. about myself because I knew or I was trained to believe that they yeah. would be followed by abuse i feel that you you know you had a certain nicknames at cricket but i feel that but that was a good i liked that that was a good thing but with the obviously with your last name does it feel that if it's given if you have a nickname around it that's given with endearment or something like that can you differentiate that or is it always kind of a bit of a trigger that that people you feel like people are just taking the piss the whole time i could probably differentiate yeah because cricket one was always and i always felt like part of the joke yeah if that makes sense yeah, like, I, I never felt like it was used as a way to like shut me up it was always like a good thing like laughing with you yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think, I'd agree with that and I think if anything had been laughing with me I would have felt fine mm. but with school it was always laughing at me mm. so I always felt that tentativeness and I think that whole period was me trying to not test people but finding out where they were like were they a person that was just like okay you sport Huddersfield or okay you're like this and then we'll just they were just normal mm. or were they going to use it as a way of to abuse me afterwards yeah. I feel there's definitely a much less masculine feel to cricket there's a lot much more Less, maybe less macho mm, I guess to, so compared to and I guess and things. people in, in our team just felt a bit more like level headed mm, I think I know what you mean yeah, yeah. For the social group we're both in now has probably been my main group since I'd probably say about year, you know, 18, 19. And it's one that you've been in since you were 10 and 11, mm. maybe 12. However, for a good few years, I guess, maybe even between the years of... 13 to 19 I would probably say I 100% felt and this was no fault of yours I 100% felt like a tag along 100% felt like an extra I think it definitely affected my sky high people pleasing I definitely felt like I tried too hard Mm. I think would probably be the best way to say it did you ever notice that behaviour from me did you ever notice that environment or I guess that mindset that I had and was it a struggle for you bringing me into that group I think I did notice it I think in that maybe that respect you could come up quite strong with people but I think that's just your natural character and that's just who you are which is again completely fine but I think sometimes that can I think maybe that was with the people pleasing you just maybe took it an extra step up slightly and that I feel that could be people initially like well but that's just again that could be on them but apart from that I think a big other thing is just when people get to know you Fred I feel like you, I feel your name has definitely preceded your person in our, in our group you know if I really like hearing people know of you before they've met you I and mean, that was always quite an- something anxiety inducing See, to me, but, but I think it's great because I always love saying now it's not because I, I love saying you won't forget him he's amazing like you know what I mean like, it's never a bad thing it's never people like, oh god I've heard about this Freddie like that's what about Freddie. That's what it used so to be. So I think yeah, maybe there, maybe anyway. there's been a, maybe there's been a change. But I love it because I, I like people meeting you because mm. uh, you're an incredible person. But I, yeah, I guess yeah, maybe I know what you feel. But I, do, I, I had absolutely no reservations or no no um, problems with it bringing you into the group or anything like that. It never crossed my mind because you're one of my oldest mates and he's one of my oldest mates as well. So I, just, mm. I didn't really think of it that way. But I guess I, I feel I know where you're coming from. Do you feel like there was a point when I felt accepted and when I was accepted? Maybe they happened at the same time or whether they happened at different moments? Um, I'm not sure to be honest I've always felt that I want to say like sixth form yeah. was probably the time where you probably hung out a lot more outside of school like parties and things like that mm. I think before it was either playing football or meeting down during the day and things like that but as we got older towards the drinking age 
more of a social age, I think you definitely came into it there. I think my 18th birthday was quite a big one, wasn't it? Do you want to just tell the listeners about that? I must admit, I'd completely forgotten about this. <laughs> um, maybe this is my oblivious do-gooding. Maybe didn't realise what I was doing. I, it was your 18th birthday. Can't remember if we were if it we went out planned. Went I know we were going out. Went clubbing, yeah. But I can't remember exactly because I must admit, I don't feel like I'd be rubbish at trying to coax you. You know, I'd be like, don't tell him, don't tell him. <laughs> so, but basically, we had sort of surprise pre-drinks for his birthday. I coaxed him to my house with the promise of fish and chips yeah. and, a, and a cure. Tried to eat in about five seconds. So I, 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 that was the memory that I had. I was like, because when you sent me the running on, I was like, blimey, I don't remember that. And then, quick as a flash, you sitting on my kitchen table with this humongous yeah. plate of fish and chips because you always get the big portion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're going, James, how am I supposed to eat this in like 10 minutes without <laughs> everyone like standing around you as well? <laughs> So basically, you had like a surprise pre-drinks for Freddie's birthday for his 18th. And then we went out. I vividly remember you sitting on my kitchen table, just like a plate of beige food and just going to town. So do you feel like you made a conscious effort to integrate me there? Or was it just you doing something nice and whatever? I don't think it was a conscious decision. I think I might be giving myself a bit too much credit for that. <laughs> maybe I'm um, giving you a bit too much yeah, credit. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. But I think it was, for my view on, the, on friendships and things, I think like once they'd met you a couple of times for me it was just like I'm never going to not include you if you know mm. what I mean it was always going to be that way so when it was your 18th birth I was like okay we're going to do something so I must admit my memory's not brilliant of it so I can't think of my motivation I think for me I probably would have thought it's Freddie's 18th birthday big day we've got to do something so I think mm. that's probably what I saw we both made it to university eventually and began to carve out our own paths and discover things about ourselves in new ways I never really felt like our friendship suffered through that, do you? Like, I always felt like we did the classic stereotypical thing that everyone seems to do, where we went away, we didn't speak massively, we kind of texted a few times, how mm. you doing, how you getting on, and then we just came back to being back at normal at Christmas time and, like, end of years and stuff. Yeah, no, I feel it's 100% the same. I've, I've talked to, to the boys upstairs about that as well, the same sort of thing. We were happy just to do our own thing at university. Again, we chat, you know, every now and again. If somebody saw something funny or, you know, we yeah. saw each other, we'd text each other. We had a couple calls, but I think that's what proper friendship is, you know, don't you been come back and it was like we didn't even skip a beat it was one of those funny ones it's like it's not too even too much reminiscing about your time at university it wasn't even too much university we didn't even chat. talk that too much it just felt like you kind of come home and it's just like all right all right and then you just kind of dive into your own lives again you just talk about i think that was probably a sign of a true friendship it's you don't miss a beat you just mm. dive in straight away so it was great university was probably the best time of my life but mm. ironically also like had some of the worst mental health experiences i've ever had mm. i definitely remember quite a bad well there was definitely a, a lot of bad times in second year and and I definitely remember a lot of 4am phone calls and 3am <laughs> phone calls and normally I was absolutely off my face. What do you remember that I did or what do you remember of how we talked about those events? Because we never really discussed that, have we? I definitely don't regret any of the bad decisions I made. Mm. There were definitely a lot of dangerous things and I you know, kind of dread to think that looking back the instance that I got into. But I don't regret any of it because I think it shaped me into who I am today. Mm. What do you remember about that time and like what those conversations were? Um, well, I remember one pretty distinctively. Um, it was in first year of uni. Yeah, I definitely remember that, um, I think. And it was, I want to say it was around like three o'clock in the morning, maybe. A Thursday, it was definitely a weekend. It was a weekend. Because I was right. out as well. Yeah. Yeah, so I remember I was back from a night out and you called in quite a state, I want to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, quite a hysterical state. You weren't 100% sure where you were. I believe you'd been on a night out and you were going home. I think you were walking home. I don't remember like this. I remember one of those phone calls. I don't remember this one. So oh, this is I think it me. was, you'd been on a night out and you, you were in a particularly distressed state. And I must admit, I think me being quite drunk at the time probably helped. <laughs> it was one of those ones, you know, oh, Freddie's called me. See what's going on. And then you kind of have this quite a large outburst, let's say. Mm. Nothing, you know, malicious or anything, but obviously you're in a distressed place and you didn't really know what was going on. I think you're trying to get home. 
So I think being drunk actually kept me kind of calm. I want to say we just chatted and I just kind of calmed you down a bit. And I think once you'd calmed down, we got you on the phone. I think you walked home, actually. I think you we, yeah, we, looked, been, we yeah. looked up. Obviously, you would have been in Brighton. So I think you checked where you were. And then I think you eventually got back. So I think we were on the phone for a good 45 minutes, I want to say. It was quite a while. Wow. I don't remember that. It was quite a long time. But again, I think it's it's one of those things that okay, this is exactly what friendship's for. People come, you know, and create these relationships with people. And in these times of need, you're there for them. So... I must admit, I don't remember a massive amount of what we actually talked about. I don't think Neither we do really, I, no. I don't think we really talked about it afterwards either. No. I think we might have messaged you in the morning to see how you were, and there might have been some certain things we talked about. But I must admit, I don't remember us ever talking about it again after that. I um, remember one when I was at home mm. and I was at my uni house, and I remember calling you at like four a.m. Yeah, and I was saying things like "No one likes me" or "Nobody wants me." Mm. Or do you remember that one? That rings a bell. I must yeah. admit. Yeah, I think the problem is for me is that most of the times you called, I was either drunk. So. <laughs> So I think that probably um, the the memory slightly hits, but I think I do remember that. Yeah, I do. I think that was that. my what you just said there. The other one you spoke from was probably my worst one, like from a health perspective. But yeah, that one I remember vividly because I probably was in the worst mental state I think I had been. Mm. I think, and I've spoken about this on previous pods where I was having probably girl related, to be honest. <laughs> And then obviously with oh, the mental health are the same thing. The same yeah, time. Yeah, I think it might have been actually. Yeah, it was. So it was like the crisis and then girl problems and then mixed together and that created how I was speaking basically. Yeah, fair. Yeah, I must admit, I don't remember too much about the conversation. I think the main thing for me is that looking back at it now, we didn't talk about it afterwards. No, we didn't, did we? It wasn't I a single like, I didn't, reference to it. I didn't check up with you or anything like that or check in. I think that's probably the thing I, I take out of it the most now, think, looking back on it, thinking about what we've learned since then and our experiences since then. I think that's probably the biggest thing I probably take with that. I just thought, okay, yeah, Fred's fine now. You know, Was that the first time you'd ever heard that. anyone in that state or like directly in your yeah, line of fire, so. mate, basically? Yeah, I'd say so, definitely. I mean, to be honest, looking back, I, I mean, I, I feel a mix of emotions, really. I feel obviously very sad that I had to go through that and I went through that. But I also feel like maybe guilt's not the right word because I don't regret any of my actions, but I regret putting that on you, if that makes sense. Mm. But at the same time, who else was I talking to about it? Yeah, exactly. I don't think you should feel any guilt about that. And if anything, I, I feel relatively privileged that you could talk to me about those sort of things. So I don't think you should feel guilty at all about putting it on me. And I don't think you did put anything on me. If anything, I was, again, I'm privileged and happy that I was there to be able to talk to you about things. Maybe you didn't realise it at the time. How big it was, really. How big it, it was. Yeah. But I'm happy you were comfortable enough to talk to me about it. And again, I think about it now. I think obviously I could have done more talk to you afterwards but um, I think that he, I think you did the best you could mate but I think, I, but I think that's just the again like I said before it's, I think that's what friendship's for you need these people and I'm happy that I could be that person for you so to a lesser degree do you feel like that ever happened on the other way around what do you mean as in do you feel like you were ever <laughs> in a whether it was face to face or over the phone did I ever have that conversation with you where you were in a bad state maybe not 4am but no not 4am I'm pretty sure we've had a conversation or two for the last year and a half I remember a couple cab journeys I think that was the only times I was able to like get anything out of you at that yes point. actually that's true yeah um, I remember coming back from old Queen's Head I think we had a deep chat about yes, it didn't we yes I don't know how I remember that Jeez, I was, I was I so smashed <laughs> I do remember that. But I think that's the thing. I struggle to talk about things, but then which brings me down even more that, you know, alcohol was the thing that Gets loosens you, your yeah. lips. I think that was maybe the one thing I realised I was I was happy to talk about these things when I was drunk or maybe more open to talk about these mm. things. And everyone is, but uh, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, there were definitely conversations. Maybe not quite as extreme, not as crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but definitely, I think we've definitely had those conversations. Yeah. When we got out of university, and I put that first Venn article out, that was in September 2017. What was your reaction first off to that first article? Shocked. You put the word I was looking for in the running order. Shocked. That was the words. I definitely knew parts of it. I definitely didn't know all of it. What was it say? You the ratio that you knew? If you could put a finger on it. See, I want to say like twenty percent, thirty percent. I want to say thirty percent. Yeah. I want to say. 
I, I think you knew the timeline, obviously. I knew the timeline. Yeah. I knew maybe some of the big events. I maybe didn't know about the suicide attempts. I don't think mm. I knew. I don't think I knew well, no that. one knew that. Did yeah. They? So that's um, completely fair. But yeah, I was shocked. Obviously, extremely. It was a very courageous of you to do it. So I really appreciated reading it. But there were definitely aspects. I think. And then I think that's when I maybe thought you first think these things come back. Like I remember the instances in school, you calling it university, it make more sense in a context, mm. you know. So, yeah, I'd say shocked was probably the main word. Was no, it quite hard for you reading that? It was quite hard actually, because again, it's one of those things you look back and you think you could have done more. You could have done, you know, I could have mm. been a better friend. You place yourself been... into that yeah, situation. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah. especially I've known you my whole life, so I'm probably able to place myself in better than other people. So I'm happy you have Panda as well. You could have another person as well. But I think, yeah, shocked was the main thing, just actually how the range of emotions and the, actually the range of experiences that you had, I think that's mm. probably the, the main thing for me. And then the articles, obviously, that followed and the podcasts and stuff, like, I'm not going to ask you how many you read, but <laughs> did, you know, of the ones that you did read or the podcasts that you listened to, what were the ones that stuck out or the experiences or memories? Well, obviously, your first one that you wrote, I thought was really powerful. And I think that's probably the start of the mental health awareness that I've yeah. had. Definitely, it comes from you. And I think the personal experience I have with you, I think that's made it more interesting for me made me more personal to me mm. i really liked lloyd's uh, the lord of the podcast. rings the lord of the rings link episode. <laughs> i thought that really touched me actually that really got to me about his journey that he's had especially with this moment with his dad when he, mm. when he came out to them and things like that that really got me and i remember texting him afterwards i think that was another time that i think i've become more in tune with my or maybe more aware of my emotions over the last couple of years mm. that things have hit me immediately hit me more that was one that really hit me pretty hard in a good way you know it really kind of opened up some emotions so I immediately got in contact with Lloyd as I was watching just to say like I'm really happy I'm able to listen to this and we can meet up and we met up a couple weeks later so it was mm. great so I think Lloyd was great I really liked Matt Harold's one as well it's a nice alternate perspective obviously we quite a lot of people that we know and things so it's quite nice to hear one from a person in the public light as well mm. so did you listen to my one I did listen to your one as well yes and what was that like again it was because I guess that was a lot of articles condensed into one wasn't yeah it? so I think that was maybe not as shocking as the first article sure. that was really but I again it's obviously yours are two parts it was a bit longer than that was the Lord of the Rings but again it should be you know (laughs) it's about you so I think maybe less shocked but it was just more in depth and it just felt I feel like I've known you for 23 years but there's a certain part of your life that I didn't know Mm. and maybe the last three or four years it's now become aware to me as we've both become men young men (laughs) hopefully but men at the moment how do you think you've got better when it comes to your mental health and having better conversations with not just me but like everyone around you I think I've become like I say, a bit more aware of it but I think I've kind of learned to acknowledge it a bit more rather than just I think my tactic before was pushing emotions down and locking them away which is just maybe slightly better in the short term it fit but long term but this is going to come back and bite you so I'd say that was probably a big thing but one thing I think I would say that I need to progress on need to do better is talking about the emotions I think I've better at identifying them now but I'm still not very good at actually talking about them and getting the feelings out watching that is I think it's just like fear of what people are going to say, fear of what people are going to think. I'd much rather be in pain in myself than people realise I'm in pain or people to think negatively of me. Because you're losing control. Yeah, I think it's just that sort of vulnerability of talking about these things and that I struggle with because I think there's lots of things that I want to say but then when I actually go to say it, there's a hesitation I don't say it or Mm. there's a little thing in my head saying, you know, don't say it. Do you think we as a group of boys have gotten better over the years? Yeah, maybe, but I think... There's a long way to go, isn't Guy, there? I, I, think. I think guys in general just aren't very good at it at all. Me and my uni lot are the same. We don't really talk about these things. And when we, we meet up, we just, you know, do silly things and Banner, chat shit yeah. and stuff like that. So there's not too much room for... And I don't think anyone's going to really ever bring it up. You know, Unless you're a, all drunk and if like, there's a silence, the night. I don't think, you know, that. if we're yeah, playing yeah. Call of Duty or something, someone's going to go, so how are you doing? I just, it's just not how 
it's not it's going to work but they, again i think that's something we can definitely do better at or maybe have time when you just call someone up and you know have a one-to-one chat and say how you do it rather than actually mm-hmm. having to do it in these situations these situations and still be the fun bits that you want to get together but actually just take more time out of your days otherwise just to have a chat with someone you know it doesn't mm-hmm. even have to be there very long you know half an hour just to say how you doing anything to come up that helps ease the elastic band if you know what i mean i think definitely for me i'm quite tightly wrong when it comes to emotions mm-hmm. don't want to talk about it but the more you do talk about it, the easier it becomes. Again, it's something you build up in your head and then when you do it, you're like, oh, actually, it's not too bad, you know? I think one thing that we've gotten better at as boys is that we've gotten to stage one, we haven't got to stage two. So I think a lot of us, and maybe even I'm guilty of this, we will say in the group chat or we will say to each other, X has happened and it's a really big thing and we'll all be like, sure, mate, give you some space, let us know what you need. But there won't be that next step. The do you feel like that as well? Yeah, I'd agree with that, yeah. yeah. And I think that will get better, hopefully with time. I think it doesn't help the out of all of us out of us six I'd probably be accurate in saying that four if not maybe you as well are introverted or have qualities of introversion yeah I'd so it's so. not as like a willingness to be as out there or putting yourself out there mm. if that makes sense would that be fair I, I guess yeah I'd probably agree with that yeah. yeah I guess Dan and Dill have qualities of extroversion Barley definitely has qualities of extroversion but I think naturally they are introverted in very good ways because they are sometimes quite reserved they listen a lot they are very receptive to what you're saying but at the same time they're not going to be the ones who proactively be like on a random one how are you what's going on with you yeah i would agree with that yeah it's kind of it's sometimes having that extra bit assertion to say actually yeah we're going to talk about it, rather than just kind of easy to breeze over things and i think that's maybe what movies characters for us it's easy to say yeah how you doing yeah good and then it, that's enough for us you know mm. so i don't think that's ever been a massive problem for me no but i think it's as we all get older i think it's something that we've probably got to get better at <laughs> Our final topic of conversation, James, and it's one I try and have with all my special guests, which is a general natter about our mental health. So firstly, circumstances including or excluding, how would you say your mental health is at the moment, mate? Uh, it's okay. Yeah, it's not too bad. I think coronavirus definitely had an effect. I definitely had a downward turn, I would say, during coronavirus. I think we all have. Just from, you know, again, it's a lot of, you know, the same spot stuck in your household time. I think that did maybe bring up a bit of overthinking. There was a lot of you know, getting down on myself. So, but apart from that, I feel that's definitely got better. And I've been able to talk to my mum about certain things that have helped. But overall, I think I'm pretty good at the moment. Obviously, I'm not brilliant, but I'm pretty good. And if you felt comfortable saying, if you have any mental health issues or conditions long term what are they and how do they affect you in your day-to-day life well the only thing i think of is the overthinking that's been not crippling but maybe crippling at times but there's been certain times last couple of years and that's kind of got to me maybe more than it probably should i think that's probably the main thing i think of when i think about it and i think that overthinking comes from feeling not inadequate but but feelings of inadequacy i think one of the things i've done is like deleted social media you see loads of people doing that amazing things they kind of get you down generally i think i'm relative without myself more negative than positive and i think having periods of time when you get to think about these sort of things and stew on stuff is makes it worse so i think mm. that's probably the, the thing that i deal with the most it's weird thing to saying it as a mental health issue because again i don't see myself as you validate yourself yeah again, again do you know what i mean so but that's probably the main thing yeah mm. and what age do you think you were when you first realized that these feelings you were having weren't physical and they were in your mind was it very early on or was it in the last kind of year and a half two years i think overthinking has been in my head for a while i'd even go back to the instance of me standing outside the english office mm. in year 12 again just sitting there it's over 10 years ago now is yeah, that mad? Just mad to think I've always had this characteristic but maybe not thought of it as an issue or something to work on I've just always had it so those sort of times I remember thinking okay I've thought about that you know for two Mm. weeks and then actually went to do it so 
it's been a while but i think the last couple of years slowly come to realize that actually it's something i need to work on um mm. that maybe needs more attention than it's getting so and when you had that first conversation with your mental health when was it and who was it with and did you feel like a part of you had changed when you did it was it like a light bulb moment or was it did it feel fairly insignificant at the time the, what i can remember the thing that came into my head was talking to my mum in like the early stages of my recent breakups so i think that's mm. probably when i really had the first conversation about my mental health and realizing it is a mental health issue i think that's something that i've learned in the mental health first aid courses there's a lot of stigma about you hear mental health and it's automatically negative well actually mental health is, is a scale it's a spectrum it's a spectrum everyone has mental health it's just depending where you are on that scale and i think mm-hmm. that's probably the first time that i've realized actually it's not just about negative it's the whole scale and if you are in slightly negative then you can talk about these things and it's not just a label or stigma that people it's the whole social scale and it's this everyone deals with it so mm-hmm. i think that's probably and it definitely helped i'm sometimes feel like i'm my own worst enemy i say I, I know it makes me feel better to talk about things but it's actually getting it out and talking about it which is the issue uh, but it definitely made me feel better um 100 so big advocate for talking about these things now mm. and with all, all the stuff you're doing so i think that's probably it and what triggers do you find in life that affect your mental health or have you not figured all of them out yet i don't think i've figured them all out i think one of them and they used to have a looking back now was to do with injuries you know people saying sick note and all that sort of stuff i don't think i realized it at the time but looking back i think that's probably it just does get me down well i think that's all we've got time for on this 50th episode of the just checking in podcast i want to say a massive thank you to my best mate james for being my special guest on this episode's pod if you've listened to this and feel like checking in on your best mate or just someone you care about in your life do it because chances are it'll be the best decision you've made I'd never heard the things James has said in this pod, and we've been best mates for 23 years, so who knows what you might discover. As always, thank you to all the vendors who tuned in. If you've liked what you've heard, please give this a share on all the usual social media channels, tell your friends or work colleagues about it, or if you're feeling very generous, write us a review on iTunes. We hope to check in with you again very soon, and remember, it's always okay to vent.